You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. Chris is off tonight. We begin with an increasingly desperate situation for a man battling a rare form of non-Hodgkin lymphoma. Timing is now critical that he receives treatment for his cancer, but in order to get it, he's being told he will first have to find a new place to live. Kylie Stanton tells us why. It's uh, called um, uh, low-grade B-cell non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. It's rare and there is no cure, but with treatment, Terry Willis could have more time. I don't want to die out here. Chemotherapy is his only hope, and now even that's being ripped away. The oncologist said, um, Terry, um, I know what you've been through, but we can't treat you right now um, because of where I live. Willis has called 844 Johnson Street home for more than a year now, a building managed by the Portland Hotel Society, providing housing for many of those who were previously living on the streets. But since opening only a couple of years ago, it's become notorious for drug use, criminal activity and unsanitary living conditions. People take craps in the showers. It's not safe for human beings to live there. And for a cancer patient with a compromised immune system due to treatment, it's essentially a death sentence. That leaves me susceptible to um, infections, which could kill me instead of the cancer. PHS Healthcare has stepped in, providing this letter to Willis's support worker. Please note that Mr. Willis is in urgent need of suitable housing. Any help that you can provide with urgently finding a new living arrangement would be most appreciated. Respectfully, he needs a two-bedroom apartment. It is going to be hard to come by, but I will not give up. But the Kool-Aid Society says there's a gap in the housing system for those who are seriously ill or dying. As part of the solution, it's working on turning two private apartments here at the Rock Bay Landing Shelter into palliative care beds. The units are there. What's missing is some funding for um, supports for those units. As for finding a spot through the centralized access to supported housing program, there are 400 people on the wait list. And Willis can't wait any longer. Time is very much over the essence. Kylie Stanton, Global News, Victoria. A Vancouver man is now facing a slew of charges in connection with a crime spree in the downtown core. It unfolded last Friday morning, starting in a parking lot at Camby and Pender. Police allege Jesse William Swain was involved in a carjacking, multiple collisions and assaults. The 27-year-old has been charged with six counts, including three of assault with a weapon, robbery and dangerous driving causing bodily harm. New details tonight about a heated dispute over a seat on a transit bus. The confrontation included insults, shoving and threats. Much of it caught on video and posted on social media. Sarah McDonald caught up with the woman who filmed the incident, who was raising questions tonight about why it was allowed to escalate. The footage itself is cause for concern and it's sparking a wider conversation. Transit police investigating this confrontation between the woman in blue on your screen. Seen here engaging in a racially charged and at times physical confrontation with fellow passengers over the weekend. Now the woman who recorded it is speaking out. The driver, stop. 
and taking the driver behind the wheel to task. I think he should have pulled over, even just tell everybody to exit the bus, you know, just to defuse the situation. Christine Starr, who posted the footage that has since racked up hundreds of thousands of views on social media, says the driver of the bus should have done more to defuse the situation, which escalated dramatically over the course of roughly 15 minutes. I started recording because she assaulted a woman on the bus. She actually took her bag from the seat and hit the woman in the head with it. So that's when I yelled to everybody, take your phones out, start recording. Transit police are now investigating this case after receiving a string of reports from people on that bus, the first of which coming from that woman in blue who is now at the center of controversy. I wouldn't say charges won't be contemplated. It's something that they're going to look into, but they have to complete the investigation first. The District of West Vancouver is also now speaking out, defending the actions of its driver, who has 12 years experience. This whole ordeal unfolding on one of its municipal transit vehicles en route from Horseshoe Bay to downtown Vancouver. After we've reviewed this, uh, I think I can safely say that that driver made the right call. Unbelievable. Though critics insist that policy needs to change to defuse potentially volatile situations going forward and protect passengers on public transit from situations like this. Sarah McDonald, Global News. Now, breaking news about rental increases and affordability in this province. It comes just a day after a task force recommended increases be limited to the cost of living. Keith Baldry is live in Victoria with more on this. Keith, the Premier is calling a press conference for tomorrow, uh, but you've learned some details tonight. Well, no surprise. Uh, John Horgan acting very quickly here to respond to Spencer Chandra Herbert's uh, recommendation yesterday to get rid of that 2% base uh, that the Liberals established and to add inflation on top of that. Uh, Herbert uh, recommending just simply time rent increases to inflation. We expect John Horgan to announce that tomorrow with Housing Minister Selena Robinson. To put that in context, average rent right now in Metro Vancouver, about $1,400 a month. That will save the average person uh, a saving of $28 a month. Uh, what, what would have been had the 4.5% increase gone ahead. So a 2.5% uh, inflation rate, which would mean presumably that's what the rent increase will be. That works out to a savings of about $335 for the average renter in Metro Vancouver over the course of an entire year compared to what it would have been if Herbert hadn't come in with that recommendation and if the Horgan government hadn't taken action. So uh, potentially a significant savings for uh, people over the course of the year as a result of tomorrow's announcement. Every dollar counts. All right. Thanks, mm -hmm. Keith. Public safety top of mind in Burnaby today, where new security measures have been installed in Central Park. The park has been the scene of two disturbing attacks. Most recently, a senior was left with serious injuries after being jumped in the park. And in July of last year, the body of 13-year-old Marissa Shen was found. Today, the city of Burnaby announced cameras have been installed, bike patrols will be coming, and the city has plans to add 14 new RCMP officers to its force. And so we went in and uh, began the installation of cameras, and today it's very important for us to come out and tell the public cameras are live now, and there will be continuing monitoring of that park through those cameras and the addition of more cameras over the course of time. The city is also planning to increase lighting and install emergency call boxes in the park this winter. 
Public safety concerns also raised in Vancouver today, where firefighters are calling on the next city council and mayor to increase investment and support in fire and rescue services. As Nadia Stewart reports, the call to action follows a new report that highlights the risks posed by understaffing and delayed response times. They respond to countless calls every day in Vancouver, everything from fires to matters of life and death. But the union representing firefighters in Vancouver say they've been doing too much with too little for too long. It's time that an investment is made in the fire service because we just can't handle anymore. According to the union, there are 137 firefighters on duty now. Compare that to 155 back in 1986. But crews deal with about 43,000 more calls now than they did then. Overdose-related calls and vacant home fires. But they're specifically concerned about the number of high-rises going up around town. There's about 130 high-rises in the downtown core that don't even, we can't even get enough staff to in a timely fashion to meet industry standards. The Firefighters Union is pointing to two neighbourhoods, the Canby Corridor and the River District, where they say there's still no clear plan on how to properly provide public safety services. Global News contacted One City, COPE, The Greens, NPA, Vision Vancouver and Independence, Shauna Sylvester and Kennedy Stewart. Both the NPA and Kennedy Stewart said they'd work with firefighters to understand and address their needs. COPE says they'd address homelessness and the opioid crisis so firefighters can focus on fire and safety. One City supports the call for more resources. We are interviewing and meeting with uh, different candidates. To Bordeaux says they take a non-partisan approach to their endorsements. Question is, how much weight will Vancouver voters give that endorsement on October 20th? Nadia Stork, Global News. More now in a story we brought you on last night's news hour. Several police forces declaring they will not be using the Draeger, the federally approved test for marijuana impairment. Grace Key has more on what the plan is going forward and why at least one lawyer indicates using that new tool may not be critical. Vancouver's the latest police force to pass on the only federally approved marijuana roadside testing device. Like many other municipalities, they'll be testing it out, but not using it on the road. It's a little bit too bulky when you compare it to the approved screening device that we use right now uh, for liquor. Uh, and also there's some concerns with the climate and the temperature around it. So uh, there's some issues around it being under four degrees in Celsius, whether or not it'll work properly. It's called the Drager Drug Test 5000 and lawyers aren't surprised policing agencies are turning away from it. I applaud the police for making the decision to put more study into this before determining whether or not they're going to use it. Many policing agencies say when the federal government legalizes cannabis on October 17, they'll be relying on standard policing practices. Well, I don't think much is going to change as far as um, when we're looking at impaired driving uh, by drugs. I mean, we've always had our uh, officers that are trained in standard field sobriety tests and our drug recognition experts. Vancouver Police will have 140 standard field sobriety officers by the end of the year and an additional 110 by the end of 2019, plus an anticipated 23 drug recognition experts by the end of next year. They can make further evaluations at the police station. As of October 17th, the results of those tests will be presumptive proof of impairment as long as the officer identifies 
what the drug is and that that drug shows up in a blood or urine test regardless of the concentration. And that should be good enough to secure a conviction. And in fact, it essentially shifts a burden to the defense. Field testing devices have certainly changed over the years, but for now, many departments will be sticking with properly trained officers. Grace Key, Global News. First, though, breaking into Vancouver's real estate market is increasingly challenging. Many have simply given up on the dream of owning a home. Now, one company has come up with a way to offer a piece of the market at a more affordable price. But as John Hua reports, not everyone thinks it's a good idea. On days like this, people from all over are drawn to Vancouver's Trout Lake. It's got the water, it's got the trees, it's got the the wildlife. But for many, owning a home here is just a dream. I think that those ones will be really expensive. I couldn't possibly afford to buy a home in this area. There's 79 houses on the lake, this is one of them. Now one local company is making ownership in the area a reality for as little as a buck. Our first development property on the MBX platform is sold out. There's 200 investors in this house. A developer owns 51% of this home. The rest was open to the public who bought in as shareholders. After rezoning and redevelopment, the expectation is a 35% return on investment. Real estate has been the best performing asset class in the world. MBX is the platform meant to bring opportunities and investors together, letting people normally priced out of the housing market get a piece of the action. Especially young families that are trying to get into the market and they just don't have the money. It's just emblematic of, 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 of the speculative nature of Vancouver real estate. While some say buying shares in a house is still far off from owning a home, experts say in principle it could be a stepping stone. When we were kids, we were all told, don't put all your eggs in one basket. So if you want to invest in real estate, being able to own part uh, of a property or multiple properties instead of owning a lot of one property makes a lot of sense. Bottom line, with home ownership still out of reach for many, getting a fraction of the dream might be as good as it gets for now. John Hua, Global News. A new building in Kelowna is breaking the mold when it comes to being green. Today marking the start of a new downtown development that will be the first of its kind in North America. The five-story building will be made of blocks of hemp bounded together with lime. And the whole building will be completely off the electrical and natural gas grids. Ecolock, as it's known, will generate solar power and collect, filter and reuse rainwater. It's all backed by a Vancouver-based developer who's investing $30 million into the facility. If we want to have a meaningful impact on reducing climate change, large-scale commercial development needs to be more sustainable. All the technology we're using is off the shelf. There's nothing that we're inventing here. The B.C. Liberals are claiming tonight that the NDP is using constituency offices for political purposes. That allegation involves Burnaby Deer Lake, MLA, and Kang. And as Ted Chernecki reports, this isn't the first time the NDP has been accused of using taxpayer money for partisan politics. I intend to run in the upcoming by-election here in Burnaby South. That was pretty big news when federal NDP leader Jagmeet Singh announced his candidacy. Introducing him that day was neighboring Burnaby Deer Lake NDP member of the BC legislature, Ann Kang. 
So when she tweeted out a new video with Singh and her promoting an upcoming festival at her constituency office, it caught the eye of a journalist and then a liberal MLA. It's ridiculous that, that, is, that she's doing this simply because it's a partisan uh, attempt at getting him elected at the end of the day, and that's plain wrong. Every constituency office, including Ann Kang's, receives on average 135,000 tax dollars every year. It's to be used specifically for nonpartisan issues because these offices are there for every member of the public to access government, regardless of who they voted for. Kang would not make herself available, but in a statement says, although there is no partisan content in the video, I am taking a cautious approach and have removed it. She says she's done nothing wrong, yet the video is gone. That very action tells you she knows she did something wrong. Earlier this month, North Vancouver MLA Bowen Ma had to cancel all future meetings involving the environmental group Force of Nature. They had used her constituency office to organize a campaign and later endorsed candidates in the upcoming civic election. They've essentially said, you know what, we know what the rules are, but at the end of the day, we're going to still uh, help our friends, our NDP friends, or those who are proxies for the NDP, uh, through our offices. Last fall in the legislature, Premier Horgan admitted that senior civil servants were being deployed to constituency offices to help handle the workload, arguing that with the minority government, MLAs cannot afford to leave Victoria at risk of government falling in a non-confidence vote. Ted Chernaki, Global News. Here's to you, Mr. Robinson. <laughs> I've been working on that for, you know, an hour. Well, Kendall Waston loves you more than you will know. Because <laughs> Waston was upset that Carl Robinson was fired today by mm -hmm. the Vancouver Whitecaps. It was, uh, I don't know if it was surprising Robinson got fired from the Whitecaps, but it was surprising they did it now. Because there are still right. five games left in the season. I mean, and there are only five games. It's not like they made this move in midsummer when there was a chance to really turn things around. Whitecaps are not in a playoff position right now, obviously. So he was let go. All his assistants, Craig Dalrymple, who's worked with the young players on the Whitecaps for years, will take over. But he's just a temp. They'll have a new coach next year. Uh, and quite frankly, remember after the game the other day, we ran that story yesterday how Robinson kept saying it was my fault, it was my fault, yeah. it's not the players' fault. Oh, wait. Probably shouldn't have said that because the owners agree with them. And it was that loss on Sunday that sealed his fate. Going into the game, there was, there was no real um, uh, thoughts on anything changing. But uh, as a result of the outcome and, uh, and other, other uh, things that we discussed, yeah, we decided to, for, the, for the future opportunities to, to make the move when we did. And some of the players are not super happy about it. Well, I mean, a lot of the players he brought in. I mean, this is the thing. You know, there, it, this is not like a Canucks situation where Jim Banning delivers the players to Travis Green mm -hmm. and he works with the players that he's given. Carl Robinson was responsible for these players. So a lot of them came here because of him. Now. Robinson would probably tell you if he wanted to really be truthful out loud, which he don't think he's going to bring no. down the organization, that I didn't have enough money to spend on players. But the other way to look at it is what he did have, he didn't spend very well because they've been an uneven team mm. all year. All right. Uh, we'll see you later in sports. We'll talk more about what's ahead for the Caps yes, in the post-Robinson era. Thank yes. you, Squire. Well, the BC Sports Hall of Fame is unveil unveiling its newest exhibit, the Indigenous Sport Gallery. As Linda Aylesworth reports, it will finally acknowledge a rich history of participating in the game. At the BC Sports Hall of Fame, a grand opening that's been a long time coming, the Indigenous Sports Gallery. 
been many years where we've had all these athletes compete and do incredible things, but we've never been able to consolidate it and bring it to, to one place. Tawani Joseph is one of the inductees. A member of the Squamish Nation, he's competed in sports all his life and was instrumental in opening this gallery for everyone, but particularly to inspire the next generation. We thought about the young people in this province, so whether they're First Nations or Métis or non-First Nations, you know, there's so many incredible stories we should be proud of. Stories about athletes like William Good, a member of the Snamook First Nation, who in 1898 traveled from Nanaimo to California to run and win the 440-meter dash. He was considered the fastest man in the world, but once they found out he was Indigenous, he was you know, stripped of that title. But you know, here, we want to highlight that and say, look at what he's done. Then there was Kenny McLean from Okanagan Falls, considered the greatest Canadian rodeo cowboy of all time. Myriad sports are represented in the gallery, including wrestling. Delta Dawn from Prince George, British Columbia. I remember watching her on you know, kind of all-star wrestling days uh, in the 80s, and she had a headdress on, and you know, there she was representing our culture, representing our people. The Thunderbirds arrived on a lightning bolt and uh, is uh, demanding your attention. For some, the gallery will bring back fond memories. For others, it will create new ones. Very important for the children to see that, uh, you know, what is possible and that they can do it. You can do anything you want. And it's just a matter of uh, getting that uh, information. This gallery really consolidates so many different sports that it doesn't matter if it's a boy or a girl or whatever they want to pursue in their life in terms of athletics. You can now see that these things are possible. Linda Aylesworth, Global News. Cosby, any comments, sir? No. America's dad led away in handcuffs today. The judge calling Bill Cosby a sexually violent predator as he handed him up to 10 years behind bars. Cosby sentenced today for drugging and sexually assaulting a Canadian woman. And while Andrea Constand is being celebrated for finally bringing Cosby to justice, there are more than 60 other women who've come forward with accusations of their own against the disgraced star and never thought they would see him sentenced. Bill Cosby led away in handcuffs, a searing image of a man once adored and celebrated, now on his way to prison. The 81-year-old sentenced to three to ten years for drugging and sexually assaulting former Temple employee Andrea Constant in 2004, meaning he cannot seek parole until he's served at least three years. Finally, Bill Cosby has been unmasked, and we have seen the real man as he is headed off to prison. The defense team fought for home arrest because of the comedian's age and health, but Judge Stephen O'Neill was not convinced, basing his verdict, he said, on the seriousness of the crime and Andrea Constant's own words. She described the night of her assault in a statement to the court. I couldn't move my arms or legs. I couldn't speak or even remain conscious. I was completely vulnerable and powerless to protect myself. Constant testified in the trial and the retrial, was in court for both verdicts, and again this week for the sentencing. Miss Constant be speaking at all today. I just today, to when she was asked to react, she just smiled and shook her head. For many of the more than 60 women who have accused Cosby of sexual misconduct, ranging from verbal abuse to rape, this sentence is vindication. Is it relief today? Yeah, I think it is. I think it's going to take time for us all to process. Right now we're just caught in the throes of, of the emotion, you know, tears and, and laughter and, and nervousness and confusion. Cosby also now classified as a sexually violent predator 
After prison, he has to register as a sex offender, meet with police four times a year, report any change of address, and get counseling. Cosby has denied the dozens of allegations against him from the beginning. This case, the only one that led to criminal charges. After court today, his spokesman blasted the process. This has been the most racist and sexist trial in the history of the United States. The defense team says it will appeal. But now Bill Cosby will have to fight back from behind prison walls. Stephanie Gosk, NBC News, Norristown, Pennsylvania. U.S. President Donald Trump opened his address to the U.N. General Assembly today, boasting about his accomplishments. My administration has accomplished more than almost any administration in the history of our country. America's so true. <laughs> Didn't expect that reaction, but that's okay. Well, his comments were met with laughter, and he went off script. The president took aim at Iran as well, defending his decision to reimpose sanctions and pull out of the Iran nuclear deal. Trump also used his speech to highlight what he calls tremendous progress with North Korea. A fire raging on the hills in northern Tuscany has forced hundreds of people from their homes. The blaze was sparked Monday night near Pisa and is threatening several towns in the area. Authorities are now saying an arsonist is believed to be behind this fire. High winds, which are expected to last into Wednesday, are making it difficult to put out the flames. A shocking explosion caught on video. A security camera captures a car exploding as a woman pulls into a parking lot in Ohio. Remarkably, the woman was able to escape and was taken to hospital to be checked out. The cause is still under investigation, but authorities believe a propane tank in the back of her SUV is to blame. A major merger is making waves in the fashion industry. Michael Kors is buying Italian fashion house Versace in a deal worth more than $2 billion. Donatella Versace has run Versace since the 1997 murder of her brother Gianni. She will continue to lead Versace's creative vision. The latest deal comes a year after Kors purchased British stiletto maker Jimmy Choo. In Health Matters tonight, the provincial government is making a nearly quarter-billion-dollar commitment to improve care for seniors. The NDP government says it is spending $240 million over three years to increase the number of hours of direct care for seniors living in residential care facilities. By the end of the three years, more than 1,300 new jobs will be created, including 900 health care aides, 165 registered nurses, and a further 300 licensed practical nurses. Currently, nearly 28,000 seniors live in residential care facilities in B.C. We're also uh, going to be putting, uh, as Adrian said, uh, more dollars into uh, advanced education so we can train more uh, therapists, more uh, social workers, more care aides, and the whole continuum of care providers. We have an aging population, and we need to ensure that we have resources in place, and we're training. It's been a Delta landmark for over 50 years, but now the Town & Country Inn will be closing its doors. Some of the people behind the desks and countless trays of food have been there for decades. And as Catherine Urquhart reports, it's hard to say goodbye. Ooh, thank you. You're thank welcome. You. Can I bring you anything else? Uh, no, thank you. That's okay, great. enjoy. 
For the past 44 years, Debbie Bown has been happily serving customers at the Meadows, inside Delta's Town & Country Inn, a job she started at just 14. Really been a great place. Like, all the regulars are just so nice and just love it. But this is Debbie's last shift. The restaurant is closing. It's like family here. In the coming weeks, the hotel will also shut down to make way for a planned $70 million casino and hotel complex, now in the final stages of the approval process. <laughs> Located just south of the George Massey Tunnel, the Delta landmark has been hosting guests for more than 50 years. Many regulars have been stopping by for one last bite. Over time, this was a place to meet people coming off the ferry. Oh, and we used to play tennis there in the swimming pool, and all the reunions, the grad reunions were here. It was deliberate and planned to be here, and it's we have the usual meal. It's such a comfortable place, Catherine. There just isn't a great, there's not a lot of pretension going on. Also on her final shift, Karen Morris, a waitress here for 33 years. We've gone through some good times, bad times, and all pulled together and got through it. I'm so sad. I am so sad. I can't believe they're, they're just closing it. It's, it's actually, it's like the end of an era. For these longtime employees, it's the end of a chapter in their lives, one filled with a lifetime of memories. Catherine Urquhart, Global News. Don't mess with a mama. What happened when a cougar tried to snatch a baby alpaca? We are going to show you the surveillance video after Christie's forecast. Because, of course, there is surveillance video of an alpaca. You need them. Yeah, you got to keep those alpaca in line. The cougars sure. get in there and, yeah. <laughs> All right, Christy, what's going on? Well, it's a beautiful day, Sophie. Absolutely spectacular. Feeling like summer out there. Before I show you the temperatures, I wanted to show you, we talked about the harvest moon last night. A lot of people sending me photos. This one from Sonica Aurora. Uh, beautiful shots. Thank you to everyone who sent them to me. We can see it again tonight. Uh, the moon rise will be close enough to sunset that you should be able to see it maybe around 8.30 or a little little bit after that. So check out, you want to look towards the east. Now, this morning, uh, Mark Rodriguez was showing the moon uh, on the morning show, and this happened when he was showing it. Yes, the plane went right through the moon, a beautiful shot. What a neat moment. And actually, Mark Rodriguez didn't see it actually happen, so he was wondering why there was a slice through the moon. But very cool to see that. I thought it was Superman at or, first. Or Santa. Oh, practicing, That's right? True. Could have been Santa. You never know. Uh, so you could see it again tonight. Check it out. You want to look towards the east uh, after sunset around 830. Uh, towards the water, a little cooler, 17, but that's near seasonal for this time of year. But look at these beautiful temperatures further inland. 21 in Langley, Chilliwack. Also, the hot spot across the province was 22 in Asuyus. This number is incorrect. They were having problems, actually, at their reporting station. But some terrific conditions. Now, big jet stream riding up and over, and that's helping to protect the province. That's going to hold strong. However, this front here here is going to shift into the interior regions as we head into tomorrow and into Thursday. Also, it's mainly just southern parts of the province that will be protected and we will be protected through until Saturday. Looking really nice. Keep in mind, temperatures at night, cool, and we may see a bit of fog, but otherwise sunshine during the day. There's the rainfall in through the north coast. Showers and cloud into these interior regions and just touching down into Williams Lake and Valmont. Otherwise, further south, lots of sunshine and for 
for the South Coast region. Tomorrow will be a slightly warmer, still 22 away from the water. And by Friday, we could be heating up to 24 degrees away from the water. But again, still a little chilly at night. Now, if you didn't see the harvest moon last night, you may have caught the sunset. It was spectacular. So thank you to Gary for uh, capturing that for us. Beautiful. Thank you, Christy. Well, we've all heard the expression mama bear, but what about the strength and bravery of a mama alpaca? A cougar was no match for this mom. You can see the wild cat trying to snatch the one-week-old baby in this surveillance video from the Washington farm. The cougar even had it by the neck before the mama alpaca swept in. She ran after them, chasing them, until the cougar finally gave up. The, li the little baby, aw, known as Kriya, survived the attack. And uh, as you can see, she's got the blue bandages on her neck. She had two rows of stitches Aww. to take care of her. Oh, Kriya. I remember being at the P&E once. I think it, I don't know if it was alpacas. Oh, hold on. I had this really interesting story that my mic Here. turned off. No, 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 it's good now. Someone told me that llamas, like if a, a coyote or a fox comes to deal with the llamas and try to yeah. take something of theirs, mm -hmm. they will stomp them out. Really? They'll corner them and then just start. Right. Yeah. Is that before or after they spit? <laughs> I think it's camels spit. that spit. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah. <laughs> Getting all these llamas. They stop. Yeah. All right. <laughs> all right. I've seen a lot of you today. I know. I mean, that's I'm sorry I'm fine with that. it. I'm it's sorry. good. <laughs> I know I'm only good in small doses. Okay. It's your turn now. Which is why they only give me five minutes at the back of the mm. show. Because For Sometimes everybody, I'm good in small doses. Um, after the Whitecaps lost on Sunday, Carl Robinson said, put all the blame on me. Don't blame the players. And obviously the people above Carl Robinson totally agreed with that. And today they fired him and his assistants. Now, it's not surprising that Robinson was fired in the calendar year 2018, but it was surprising he was let go in September with only five games left in the season. For the rest of this year, Craig Dalrymple will run the Whitecaps. He has worked with their younger players for years, but he is only the temp coach. He won't be the coach next season. They'll find someone else. This year, the Whitecaps have been spinning their wheels, unable to solve defensive issues. They haven't had a shutout since April. And having an offense that's too inconsistent to overcome those defensive problems more often than not didn't help the cause. Robinson did not have the biggest budget to work with. And that's an issue that needs to be fixed for the next coach. But he also did not spend what he had very well either. In the end, was it fair to let him go now? Well, that kind of depends on who you ask. Was this change necessary from a player standpoint? Um, that's a good question because we lose two games in a row and time's running out. I don't know if that is the change or... You know, hindsight's always going to be 2020. Realistically, time ran out for Carl Robinson and his coaching staff on Sunday when the Whitecaps lost Dallas FC at home. But it's also officially running out on a couple of other fronts. First and foremost, the Whitecaps' chances of making the playoffs. And maybe more importantly, their supporters' level of trust and patience. Do you agree with the decision to let Carl go? Uh, maybe I was thinking like five games to go. If is was the right moment personal i don't think was the right moment but i'm not in charge of the club you know i'm just a player i'm just an employee and I'm, i i don't agree but it's my personal opinion 
Cutting Robinson adrift this late in the season will appease some of the Caps supporters who are clamoring for a change in tactics and better deployment of players in the salaries they're making. But it also raises the issue of what this team will look like moving forward into next year because a good chunk of the Caps roster is currently made up of personnel that Carl Robinson brought in. So who stays, who goes, and who comes in? Keeping in mind ownership's refusal to give whoever's coaching this team serious money to spend on proven, dependable, high-end talent. We're just looking ahead and we're, we're, we're trying to, um, to provide ourselves with a, an opportunity to to get to the next level. Just what that level is remains open to debate. Same for the direction the Whitecaps organization as a whole is heading in. For us, what we're looking at is um, now's the time where we need to, to look ahead and, uh, and try to uh, secure um, a coach that can, that can uh, get us beyond where we've gotten to. Now, the firing makes this offseason coming up the most crucial for the Vancouver Whitecaps ever. The fans don't feel the Whitecaps spend enough on players when compared to other MLS teams. And everyone knows there's a $13 million check coming from Germany for Alfonso Davies in the next couple of months. Vancouver needs to use that money to bring in help on the field. And we don't just mean a little bit of the money. We mean most of that $13 million. The players, of course, were surprised by the news of Carl Robinson getting fired this morning. Kai Kamara is one of those who felt it was partially his fault. I feel like we did that to him as players. Or I did that to him. You know, if I would have been better on, you know, those crosses over the weekend and those corner kicks didn't go in, we still would have been here. So, you know, I feel responsible for part of it. The BC Lions won a better running game, so they traded a second-round draft pick to Montreal for Terrell Sutton and a third-round pick. Sutton gives the Lions the kind of tough running back they don't have right now. He's only 5'8", but he's kind of like a fire hydrant with legs. He's hard to tackle, and the Lions will need more of a running game as the cold weather begins to descend across the CFL. And the two men most responsible for that Lions comeback win on Saturday against Hamilton have been given CFL Player of the Week honors. Quarterback John Jennings, receiver Brian Burnham. Burnham was huge, had a couple of touchdowns, but the best play from these two was the combination on the two-point conversion that sent the game to overtime. Check it out one more time. This had to be the perfect pass. And not only did Burnham have to make the catch, he had to get his foot inbounds, and he made it. Uh, by centimeters. Jennings had a great game. A lot of people were worried, me included, when Travis Lule went down, but Jennings showed he still has that old magic he had a couple of years ago, and they'll need that going forward as they try to make the playoffs. But they're starting to get it together now. There you go. Canucks down 1-0 in the first Edmonton exhibition game. It sounds like a tale from an old Western. Three brothers terrorizing the interior, shooting a policeman and trying to spur an uprising. All of this played out right here in B.C. and ended in a place that might surprise you. Paul Johnson uncovers a relatively unknown part of B.C.'s history. For the thousands who've gone to New Westminster Secondary School, chances are few know the sad tale that ended here. In almost all sense of the word, British Columbia was the Wild West. 
it's a story that starts near Kamloops, where in the 1870s, the sprawling rangeland was home to some of BC's early pioneers and First Nations. All these boys are of mixed race. The boys were the three McLean brothers, aged 13 to 23, who didn't fit in either with First Nations or the settler community and spent their days stealing and menacing anyone in their way. They were tough characters and people, people wanted uh, the news if they were seen in the area. What made the McLean brothers such feared outlaws wasn't just their taste for crime, but they were all superb marksmen, even when they were drunk on whiskey, which was a lot of the time. But they finally went too far when they murdered policeman Johnny Usher. A posse tracked them to this cabin near Merritt, where an epic shootout happened before they surrendered. You can still see the bullet holes. BC historian John Mitchell says in a last-ditch effort, the McLeans tried to stir up a First Nations uprising. BC's tiny government at the time took it seriously. They thought it was inevitable that it was going to be a native uprising. And weapons were gathered and put on steamers to be transported up into this country. The uprising didn't happen, and the McLeans were taken to New Westminster, convicted and hanged. At only 15, Archie McLean became one of the youngest people ever executed in what would become Canada. Some say there was a tear coming down out of uh, Archie's eye. Uh, the other boys apologized and uh, said that people should get a lesson from their wayward ways. The Wild McLean brothers were buried in the nearby cemetery that is now the site of New West Secondary. Their bodies remain there today. Paul Johnson. Global News. Who knew? How many ghost stories do you think that'll spur now? Yeah, in, the, oh. in high school, yeah, <laughs> for yeah. sure. The students will love that. <laughs> A final word on the weather, quickly. Sure, another chilly night, but beautiful conditions again tomorrow. Nice and warm, up to 22. Summer, we love you. Oh, wait, it's fall, isn't it? Yeah. And that's not the moon to the right. It's just so <laughs> an two odd reflection. It's like Star Wars. Beautiful sun.